This is a sobering passage uh, in Scripture, one of the greatest passages that actually got the attention of my mother when she was unsaved, and not just unsaved, but actually a professing believer. If you said to my, my mom, are you a Christian? She would say, yes, I am. And I spent a very long time in the interim when I got saved trying to convince her from the Scripture that she wasn't a true Christian. And you say, well, that's a bit harsh. How can you judge somebody's profession of faith of being a Christian? Well, there were certain things in the scripture that we can actually look at the life of the person and see if they have any fruit of these things that have, you know, basically take place in their life, especially if you're living amongst them. You can really see whether this person's faith is genuine. And, uh, and just to let you know that my, my ma... Uh, not long after me, probably about several months after me, realized that she was in fact a professing Christian and that she needed to get saved and born again. This passage that we're going to read right now was the, one of the greatest passages that got her attention. And it really shook her. It shook her profession. And I believe tonight it should shake the profession of those that say they're Christians and are not. Only you know. There is a limitation that man has when it comes to this area, only because there are some that do profess Christ, but they backslide. Now, when you look at the scriptures, you see four classes of people. The four classes of people that we see in Scripture, we see, first of all, no doubt, the possessing Christian, a Christian that is absolutely genuine, that possesses true fruits of faith. This is a Christian that is absolutely devoted to God and has a genuine relationship with Him. Another uh, class of people that you see are unbelievers. These are people that, you know, will just tell you that they're not saved and they don't want to be saved. And they, uh, you know, admit it. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and they're actually devil-like. They have a devil-like relationship toward God. And the reason why I say devil-like is because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are the father of your devil and the lust of your father you will do. You rather follow the devil than follow Christ. Another class of people is the backsliding believer. This is a wayward Christian. This is a Christian that kind of confuses us. We look at their life and we say, I wonder if this person is truly saved because they're not really living like a Christian, but in reality they are a Christian and they've backslid. Now, if you know anything about the Heavenly Father, if someone's a true Christian and they backslide, the Heavenly Father chastens them. So they're experiencing the chasing hand of God. And at times we see Christians that are genuinely saved, but they're just backsliding. They've turned backward. They've gone backward spiritually. And we see that in the Bible, it does exist. But what I want to talk to you about is the professing believer. This is a false Christian. This is a Christian that says he's a Christian, claims to be a Christian. They've trusted in Jesus Christ, but they do not demonstrate the true fruits of a Christian. They're just professors. But with all their heart, they actually believe that they're going to enter into heaven. They actually think that they're actually going into the kingdom. You ask somebody, do you believe that you're a Christian? And they would say, yes, I am. I'll be going to heaven. But they do not demonstrate the true fruits that we see in the Bible that prove their faith to be genuine. Professing believers are people that have a deceived relationship 
with God. They're absolutely deceived people. This passage before us that we're going to look into indicates to us that there'll be many people that think this way. Now, passage the Bible says, many in that day. Have a look at verses 21, Matthew 7. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say unto me in that day, but Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye, work, ye that work iniquity. Now three words that you do not want to hear in that day. Depart from me. Can you imagine? I mean, this is absolutely sobering to no end. Imagine you think that you're going to heaven and you're anticipating to get in and the door is closed in your face and you hear it from the God of heaven, depart from me. I mean, that's just something. I mean, I don't know about you, but that it is something that is tragic. This is terrible. Tragedy. And we ought not to take it lightly. None of us in this room ought to take it lightly. As a matter of fact, as we approach this, maybe even some genuine believers will, heart, will have a heart, you know, kind of examination and they'll just tremble before the Lord. I, I, you cannot but tremble before the Lord. This passage is one of these trembling passages. And it's not there to doubt your salvation. If anybody knows the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as their Savior, the Spirit of God bears witness with their spirit that they belong to Him. And we're going to see that in a moment. But I want to point out three things tonight. And first of all, I want to point out the reality of a professing believer. And the reality is this. They say, Lord, Lord. They actually name the name of Jesus or Lord. They call Him Lord. That's, this is the reality of a professing believer. It's not that they don't claim uh, to know the Lord, or they don't claim to have a walk with God. They do. They say, Lord, Lord. They could be religious in their activity, and we're going to see that in a moment, but they, in their own eyes, they have a walk with God. And, and we can apply it this way. They perhaps go to church. They perhaps pray and go to prayer meeting. They even perhaps go and tell other people about Jesus. They talk about the Bible, and they talk about spiritual things. They say, Lord, Lord, this is the reality of someone that is a professing believer. It's not that they don't know the Lord. They claim that they do know the Lord and they have a little religion. That's the deceitful part about it. I mean, that's the hard part about it. You know, that, this is the, 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 decept, the deceitful part about it. A professing believer is someone that claims to follow Jesus Christ or follow the Lord. I mean, I meet so many people on the street and I say, you're a Christian? They'll say, yeah. But then I'll say things like this, are you saved? Are you born again? And say, what do you mean by that? They don't understand Bible uh, terminology. They don't understand what it means. One, I heard one of the, my brothers basically say uh, last night to someone, are you born again? He goes, oh yeah, I am born again. I died and then I came back to life. He doesn't understand what it means to be born again. And so there are a lot of people that claim Christianity or claim that they have a relationship with the Lord, but in reality, they don't have nothing but a profession. 
Just a profession. That's the reality. As a matter of fact, Jesus exposed the Pharisees. In Mark chapter number 7, he said to them that these people honor me with their lips. As a matter of fact, he said, Isaiah prophesied about these people, but their hearts are far from me. All they do is give lip service. Their heart is so distant and so far, they don't have a true heart to follow me. All they have is just words. That's what he said about the Pharisees. Just words, but there's no heart. He actually says regarding the Pharisees, they worship me in vain, teaching for the doctrine of the commandments of men. They worship God, but listen, they worship God in vain because they don't follow the word of God. They follow their own ways. He goes on the same, for they lay aside the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. Wow. Or in the name of Christianity or in the name of the Lord, we can say. I'm going to use Christianity because it's applicable to us Gentiles, amen? I mean, this is obviously the class of people that he's talking to is a common people, Jewish people, and also based, uh, his disciples. But if we were to apply this to us, and I believe we can, because the Gentiles, are, some Gentiles are just as rebellious of some Jewish believers. you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, even though we're going to see a, a, you know, a whole multitude of Gentiles come and sit in the kingdom, and which is true, in reality we know that our common culture right now, the fasting-growing religion, is no religion at all. They're atheists. They're God-haters. As a matter of fact, the fasting-growing religion that I see today is this. Yoga. And you know what's shocking? Professing believers are into that. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Now, I don't know if my tone is going to be like this all night, but I'm only going to do this because this is for your sake and not mine. I preached this message at my mum's funeral. And I was struggling with how it's going to come out. And God allowed me to preach it in such a way that these people, these more than 500 people, and some of them being my cousins, will be sober enough to be humbled and examine themselves and to see whether they are truly Christians indeed. I mean, this is, I mean, Jesus is not sharing this on the Sermon on the Mount just because he actually shares this because it's a reality. It is a, it is a, a major, you know, uh, reality. And so I want you to see now the reaction of these professing believers. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? What's the problem here? What, what was their downfall? Well, they, they were basing their assurance on works. They were basing their assurance on what they have done. They were basing their assurance on uh, simply their self-righteousness and what they have accomplished and what they have done. And they had a lot of religious activity. And today we do see a lot of religious activity all in the name of Jesus Christ. We see a lot of that. But there were three things that he mentions here specifically. And first of all, they proclaim, listen, the word of God. They prophesy, they proclaim. You know, can you imagine that? Preachers that are in hell. Preachers that are not going into the kingdom of God. Man, you look at a preacher today and you think, man, if anybody's going to heaven, it's him. Look at the confidence and look at these uh, people, how they just teach the word of God. As a matter of fact, if you go to Luke chapter 13, uh, another narrative that he gives is that, oh, Lord, weren't we in the streets teaching? 
They were in the streets teaching, the scribes perhaps and the Pharisees, teaching, yeah, for what purpose? For what avail? What was your motive? And this is a big part. Why do you do what you do? Why do you preach? Why do you preach the women? Many preachers, number one, they preach for money. And Peter actually hits this uh, nail on the head. He says in 2 Peter 2.3, And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. These are false teachers that teach. And their motivation is money. We see that rampant today. Second of all, not only money, but we see some preach out of envy and strife. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even out of envy and strife. Now, can you imagine that? They're preaching Christ. I mean, he's, uh, they're actually preaching the proper gospel because later on he actually thanks God that the gospel is actually getting out. But their motive was, uh, we're just going to preach it out of envy. You know, a lot of people envied Paul and his ministry and his apostleship. They wanted to undermine his ministry and so they'll preach for wrong motives. Envy and strife. They didn't care about people. They preach for their own purposes and to distort the work of God. You say, man, preaching the true gospel to distort, how does that work? It's wicked. But it's a reality. And uh, not only this, but people preach to fulfill a role. There are many preachers that put in their resume to apply for a pastor's position and for uh, just perhaps like they're going for any other job. I want to remind you here today that the preaching is not a job it is a calling. Amen. And these people that are out there, they're putting their resume to see if they're applying for something, and they have their resume, where they've passed it, where they've been. You know what these people are, are doing now? I know all of them, perhaps uh, that's all they know, that's all they've been taught. But for the most part, and uh, to be true to our context, some of these preachers are hirelings. They've been hired. They're not servants of God. And Jesus warns us about hirelings. You know what's the difference between a a true preacher and a false preacher, the hireling flees. He doesn't care for the flock. So some of these preachers that preach, they care about themselves, they care about the position more than the people. And there are a lot of people that follow their pernicious ways and they learn from them and they follow them and they have a heart for the truth, but they also have been deceived by the blind guides. And this is why Jesus says, beware of false prophets. For they come, man... Outwardly, how do they come? Like sheep in what? Clothing. And they deceive many. It's the whole purpose of why he adds this to the Sermon on the Mount. When I was witnessing, I normally ask people, if you were to die today, where are you going to go when you die? You know what they say? You get mixed, you know, responses. Some of them say, I don't know. Some of them say, I'm a Christian, I'll be going to heaven, and they give a good answer. But there are some people that I've come up to, and I say to them, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And he says, yeah, of course. I said, how? How do you not? He goes, I'm a pastor. So I didn't ask you what you do for a job or a vocation. I said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd be in heaven with the Lord? He says, I don't know if you heard me, but I'm a pastor. Now, I don't know whether or not he's trying to communicate to me that he, sh he knows better and he knows the way of salvation or not. But if you were to give an answer, wouldn't you say, absolutely, I'll be with the Lord, I'll be with my Savior, no matter who you were and what you did as a Christian? Isn't that, sh shouldn't that be, and by the way, he got a little offended that I asked him again. 
Yeah. Because some of these people are hirelings. They're not preachers of the cross that are genuine and then there are many others that follow their ways and they're deceived. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He says this in Romans 1.1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. He was a God-called man, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, not only preaching, but they also had this power to cast out devils. Now, that's interesting. <laughs> Did we not cast out devils? I mean, wow, have we not cast? In your name. Now, this is interesting. Where did they get the power from, from to do these things? Now, I'll give you several things that I believe. Number one, I believe uh, that they were perhaps counterfeit miracle workers. Now, Paul speaks about this. Paul speaks to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said that the Corinthians were putting up with some uh, preachers that were preaching another Jesus, had another spirit with another gospel. And then later on, he says, these are deceitful workers. These are people that are masquerading as apostles, but they're not true apostles. And he says, I don't marvel. You know why? He says, because the, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know, sometimes we think that the devil's going to come to you with horns and scare you away, but far, it's far from the truth. He comes mimicking the work of God, casting out devils. I mean, isn't, isn't, that, I mean, isn't Satan working against himself? Not when he wants to deceive people. Like Simon the sorcerer. What did Simon the sorcerer want when he came to Jesus? I mean, this guy believed the message which Philip preached and he was baptized, but what did he want? Power. Preaching, position. Casting out devils, power. They just want the power. As a matter of fact, if you see the account of the book of Acts, you see some vagabond Jews that wanted the power which... Paul had. You want to turn there for a moment? This is a very fascinating passage. Acts chapter 19. Have a look. I believe these are try-hard miracle workers. Try-hards. Yeah. But Lord, didn't we not cast out devils? Well, have a look at these try-hard miracle workers. Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 13. And there were certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves to call over them which had evil spirits. You know that? They took it upon themselves. Now that's interesting. To call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. This very same uh, you know, preaching that Paul is preaching, we adjure you by him that there was, and there were, the Bible says this, there were seven sons of one Skeva, a Jew, and the chief of the priests, which did also. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I don't know you. Try hard Jews. Wannabes. Powerless. People that were looking at the apostle Paul and looking at the apostles and said, I want to be like them and took it upon themselves to try to cast out devils. And what happened? What ended up happening to these people? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out the house naked and wounded. Yeah, picture that in your mind. They ran naked and wounded. Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. But who are you? We don't know you. 
Now listen, heaven didn't know them and hell didn't know them. Try hard, wannabes, professors, all outward show, seeking the wrong things, having the wrong motives. This is what we see today in Christendom. Christendom, people, professors, seeking a position, a name, seeking to have power. That's all. Wannabes. I like what B. Meyer said. He said, as amusing, he says this, as amusing, uh, he makes an amusing comment on this, which is, he says, worth quoting. He says, with the son of Sceva stated on, uh, started on the demon, he turned on them and said, you little dwarfs, who are you? I know Paul, I don't know you. I have never heard about you before. Your name has never been talked about down in hell. No one knows you nor about you outside of this little bit of place called Ephesus. You're a no-name wannabe tryhard. Man. These people had the audacity to come to say, we cast out devils. Didn't we cast out devils? And then what's the next one? Look at Matthew 7.22. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Now we know when we look at scripture that we're not saved by works. Amen? We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? You know there's no boasting in heaven. All those that will dare to boast in heaven and say, what about this and what about this, what about this, will be thrust out. Now there's nothing wrong with good works, but good works are not for salvation. They should be a result of salvation. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so, but these people want to get to heaven by their own effort and their own self-righteousness. Remember Jesus trying to warn the people by giving a parable about the publican and the Pharisees? And the, public, and the Pharisee prayed thus within himself. You know what he said? He prayed and he said, God, I thank thee. I wonder if he was thanking himself because he prayed within himself. Oh God, oh God, I thank thee. Can you imagine? In the name of God? Because the Bible says, thus he prayed within himself. He stood and prayed with himself. God, I thank thee. Look, that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He says, I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. What was he trusting? His self-righteousness? <coughs> his religious activity? He was trusting with his own merit to get to heaven. And you know how many professing believers trust in their good works to get to heaven? It's almost like they try to outweigh their good with their bad. That's what we see today. This is all the good that I've done. Yeah, I might sin. But thank God I'm not like that sinner. Thank God that I have a clean life and I go to church perhaps and I give and I sing. I even own three Bibles and thank God for that. It could be something like that, right? That they're surrounded with things that, you know, are spiritual and mate. But they're trusting in the wrong things. And we see that take place today, don't we? The Bible says... He that glorieth, let him glory in who? The Lord. 
Did you know you can't even trust in your own profession of faith? A lot of people trust in their own profession of faith. In other words, they trust to see, oh, did I, did I say it right? Did I mean it with all my heart? They trust themselves. They, they're trusting in their own profession and they forget the cross. Now, I know that these people that are struggling, man, one day will just nut it out and God will show them, listen, you know, you got it wrong. Stop focusing on yourself. And, and they want to be saved and they're struggling and they're wrestling. But the reason why they have doubt and lack of joy and peace is because they're they're absolutely self-consumed. They're so self-conscious. They just got to get their eyes off themselves and to the Lord. But how many Christians or professing Christians have their eyes upon themselves? They can't even see this. It's blurred. It's blurred. A glory in their works. And by the way, it says wonderful works. You believe the common man can do wonderful works and not be saved? As a matter of fact, sometimes we slip up and we say, oh, he's a, he's, got a, he's a good man, he's got a good heart. Why do we say that? Because we see his good works. But if you tell him that, you're actually deceiving him. He might be a good man and he's probably got a good heart because you see his good things that he's doing, but they're not good enough to get to heaven, my friend. The worst thing that you can do to someone like that is praise him all the way to hell. All the way to hell. As much as my father was a good father and a loving father to me, his biggest problem was with God. I'm telling you right now, my father, man, was the best father I ever had. I told him, I said, I don't want any. L, I mean, I'm, a, get, I'm not looking for another dad. I'm not looking for a father figure. I love you. You've, you but... And it just because he once said to me, he said, Charlie, what am I, when I'm preaching the gospel to him, he said, Charlie, what am I doing to you? I said, you got it wrong, Dad. I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying to you that you can't get to heaven by your good works because you think that your good works is taking you to heaven. My father was trusting his good works to get to heaven. And he, I'm telling you right now, he was a benevolent giver. If I ever saw an example that someone that was a big giver, it was my father. I mean, I can sit down and, and see how much he gave to people. And that blinded him. That blinded him to see this. His good works blinded him. His religious works and wonderful works blinded him. It's almost like the Pharisees. They were blinded by their self-righteousness. And I was trying to help my father understand that, Dad, you cannot do anything to enter into heaven. I love you. You're the best father I, I have but there it's not enough to get to heaven it's not enough and now the reason for the destruction of these persons well, what's the reason I want to labor on this and please I want you to stay with me because these reasons are so important there's about six of them and I don't want you to miss them what's the reason for their destruction now we understand that the first reason is they're all trusting in their works. But that's not the only reason. That's not the only reason. That's one reason. We've got seven. That's one of them. One of them is they were trusting in their self-righteousness, but there are several other reasons here that we see. What are they? I want you to see verse 23. And then he said, I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Look at this. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Well, can you imagine hearing that? Depart from me. But what's the cause? Why the rejection? What's the reason for this? Well, I guess what he says, you work 
Ye that work, what? Iniquity. So number one, those who work iniquity are people who profess Christ, but yet still live in darkness. They, ha they claim that they have fellowship with God, but they live in darkness. And you know what the Apostle John says, for if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, look at this, we lie and do not the truth. If you say you know him and you walk in darkness, you're a liar and you're not telling the truth. They worked iniquity. They got religious systems, preaching, casting out devils, wonderful works. But on the other hand, they were living in darkness. They worked iniquity. And then number two, those who work iniquity are people who maintained a religious life, but yet lived, listen, a sin-filled life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn there quickly. Have a look quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Brethren, there's one thing that I, want, I don't want to be deceived by is by professing Christians. Those Christians that say, hey, we, we're saved, you know. We're going to heaven, but their life doesn't resemble a holy life, but a sin-filled life. They're liars. We have not been saved to sin. Listen, we've been saved to serve that woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus says, go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and sin some more. No more. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven? He says, look at this. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice this now. And look at this. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But ye are washed. Amen. Sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And that's what we're going to see later on. The, wonder, the wonderful fundamental, the fundamental of the washing and regeneration is being born again and having the Spirit of God in your life that leads you to a holy lifestyle. You know, Holy Spirit's a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God in our day, even though we see the world moving you know, and shifting, and even Christendom, the Holy Spirit is still holy. The Holy Spirit hasn't become trendy. This movement of this modern day Holy Spirit, this worldly so-called spirit, this funky, if you will, it's a lie of the devil. Helps you undermine your sin and say, oh yeah, everyone struggles with it. Who doesn't? Yeah, I know people struggle with sin, but are you getting victory over your sin? That's what the Holy Spirit was supposed to do in your life. Be not deceived. Now, come on, let's be real here. Do you expect someone that is saved, listen very carefully, he trusted Jesus Christ as his saviour to continue to fornicate? Or do you expect him to say, no, I'm not going to fornicate. As a matter of fact, I'm going to marry her and do things right. Isn't that what repentance is all about? Absolutely. That's what repentance is. Well, why are you coming to the Lord to get saved if you still want to live your own way? That's a bit weird. For what purpose? If you're saved from the filthiness of the flesh, from drinking and getting drunk, you don't, want to, you don't want to get drunk anymore. As a matter of fact, by the way, if you do, 
And I believe when I was a young Christian and the first time I ever got, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to get drunk. I'll just have one. And one led to two. And all of a sudden, woo And the Holy Spirit went. <clears throat> I had a miserable night. Everyone there, I was a, it was a work Christmas party. And I was just miserable. And by the way, a, a, a person that is saved and born again is supposed to be miserable if he lives in sin. They say the most miserable person in the world is not a non-believer, doesn't know any better. Who is he? It's somebody that is saved and knows better and is not living right. Man, there's something that rages in that person. Can a believer still sin? Yeah, but he's not comfortable in his sin. There's something that takes place in his heart and he knows, by the way, if he's backsliding and he knows the heavy hand of God is upon him. But we're talking in the context of these people that say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm pre but, we're, you know, Jesus wants us to live a happy life, you know. A happy life in sin. Jesus wants you to live a sin-filled life. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus saved me. But look at your life. It's full of sin and extortion and excess. You know, different than any other person. You're, you, this is the work of iniquity. Number three, those who work iniquity are people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It's just the form. There's no power. They looked apart. They may, you know, even dressed apart, talk, but, you know, there's no power in their life. And you know what? Before he says that, the Apostle Paul lists several things to Timothy, and he says this, regarding these people. They have a form of godliness. He says, uh, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Look at this. He says, for men shall be lovers of themselves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, look at this, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. He's telling us to turn away from false professing believers. You know, there are some sweet Christians I've met in this room. It's full of sweet Christians. But you know, there are some scary Christians that I've met. You know who the scary Christians are? Those that say that they're believers and are not. As a matter of fact, they see someone that's trying to live a holy life out of a motivation to love God and they despise them. Now, there are some professing believers out there that don't possess the Holy Spirit, but they are adamant they're saved. They're adamant they're going to heaven, but they have no love for their brother. I don't know about you, but we, the Bible says we know that we have passed from death to life when we love the brethren. Now, that verse is, it's there. It's in the scripture. Let's not, let's not undermine the scripture. If, if, if someone's not loving the brethren, there's something wrong there. Even if your brethren, even if your brother is mistreating you, even if your brother has trespassed against you, there should be a love and a forgiveness in your heart for them. And if there, if there isn't, I, mean, I understand someone may struggle, but ultimately you have the victory and say, you know what, I need to pray for them. Not week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, right now. Every time you see this professing believer, they just walk across the street or give you a little dagger or try to sidestep you. That want nothing to do with you. I don't know about you, to me that's weird Christianity and it's scary. 
If anything that God gave me when I was saved was a love for people and especially the household of faith. And that, came, that comes from God. And that's an indication that I've passed from death to life and thank God for that. Number four, those who work iniquity are people who are not washed from their filthiness. You know what the book of Proverbs says in uh, Proverbs 30 verse 20 says, There is a generation that, look at this, they're pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. They're pure in their own eyes. They look at themselves and think, I'm okay, I'm fine. Well, you can absolutely see that person is a worker of iniquity. Your words don't move me. I'm not deceived. Know ye not. Rings in my ear, my friend. You say, well, I'm a backslider. That's between you and the Lord, but I'd rather err on the safe side. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Right, because I care for you. I don't want to judge you. I care for you. you know, why is Jesus saying this to us here? Because he cares for us and he wants us to beware that we are not just professors, but we are possessors. He's using a group of people that perhaps is prophetic that will happen. Well, we don't know who these people are that he says there's many that's going to take place to actually warn us that we are not a statistic and in that group people. That group of people. May God help every single one of us here. Number five, those who work iniquity are those who rebel against God's way, word, and will. Remember what he said in verse 21? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that what? Doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. The, one of the greatest marks of a true professing believer. That someone that has a heart and a desire to do the will of God. You're saying to us now, uh, does the Bible or Jesus say to us that we have to do to get to heaven? No. He's not saying this at all. But those that do the will of God are simply those that are saved or they're the child of the kingdom. It's a, it's a result of salvation. It's a result of a believer. Those who do the will of God are those that have been saved, those that have truly followed the Lord, those that truly love the Lord. It is a result. It's not for salvation. It's a result of salvation. And by the way, one of the will of God is that you get saved God's way and that is trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples came to Jesus and they said unto him, what shall we do that we may works the works of God? He said, work the works of God. He said, and Jesus said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him, on me, sorry, on him, sorry, whom he hath sent. In other words, Jesus is saying that you believe on me. This is the works of God. And what happens when you believe on Jesus? Well, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? What's a new creature? I mean, you tell me, what's a new creature? Old things are passed away. Listen, behold, all things become new. In other words, when we get saved, God gives us a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. We have a new nature, new desire, new affection. Here, the Bible specifically says that he works in us. He works in us. Being confident of this very thing that he that begun a good work in you, look at this, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. For it is God. That works in us. When we get saved, the process begins. What's the will of God? You know what God purposed right before the world even began? Not only salvation, but sanctification, that you and I would be conformed to the image of His Son. 
This is the will of God for every single one of us. That our salvation will result into sanctification. We'll be growing as Christians. As, new, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow. Set your affections on things above. Your life is hid in Christ. Now, what happens if people don't do this? Then they're just a professor. That's all they are. They don't care about the will of God. They just profess Christ, but they, all they care is about their own agenda. You know what Jesus says to some of his disciples, or those that at least were following? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not the things I say? I mean, come on, let's be honest now. Why do we say we are Christians if we don't follow this book? You're a liar. You're, an, you're just a professor if you don't care about the Word of God. If you're just a professor if you don't care about the will of God. You know what the Bible says? This is how we know him. In 1 John chapter 2, look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. Look at this. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him. Look at this. And he keepeth not his commandments is a what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. And the Bible says that his commandments is not grievous. It's a pleasure and it's an honor. It might be tough and hard. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must endure hardness. But there's a love in our heart for the truth of God's word. We've been sanctified. And there's a desire that God gives us that we may hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's a desire that no man can give. But these professing believers want to say that they're saved and say that they want to uh, simply follow after the Lord. And we know, we know what they do. They do their own thing and they just tack the name of Jesus on it to make themselves feel good. That's not Christianity. We used to do it back when we were Catholics. People used to come over and they'll say, oh, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. You're going to go here, you're going to go there. We'll say, yep, in Arabic we'll say, is Allah Lord, God will, God willing. It's a cliche statement. We didn't know God. We, weren't, we didn't have a relationship with God. Uh, have a look at Revelation 22. Look at this. Revelation 22. Look at verse 14. I'm just being really forthright here tonight because I care for your soul. I really don't want you to be deceived. You know, if you're saved here tonight and you're, you know, feeling a tension in your heart and Man, you know you're saved, but all of a sudden you've been rattled. You can't lose your salvation. You can't. Anyone, if that, that, you go back and you say, God, examine me, and he gives you assurance through the Spirit of God. But don't give yourself assurance if you're not saved. Don't muster up this energy and say, I am, I am. It's almost like positive yoga. I am, I am, I know I am. Yes, I am. When you're not, don't do that. You can hurt yourself. It's dangerous. Man, if God's working in your heart, he's going to either show you that you are or he's going to show you that you're not. Praise God for both. Amen? There's no problem if I'm truly repentant and I want to know where I stand with God. There's no problem. It's only offensive when I don't have a true heart to do the will of God. That's when, the, that's when it's offensive. When God steps on my toes or God reveals something to me, I get offended. Why do I get offended? Maybe because we're not of the truth. Maybe because we don't love light, we love darkness. Maybe because we love the sin more than the Savior. I don't know. What is it for you? 
Why do you get offended when you hear the word of God? You're not supposed to get offended. You're supposed to get convicted, but not offended. Oh, how dare they? How dare him? And they walk no longer with Jesus. I mean, uh, listen, at the end of the day, if the truth is proclaimed, as long as the truth is proclaimed, and the truth is simply dealing with you, and the preacher's not offending you, mate, respond to the truth. Respond to the word of God. Respond to what God is doing in your heart. And only he can tell you where you're at. No one else can. But have a look at Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. A lot of people use this to say, see, we have to do his, we, it's so, we're saved by works. It's not what it says here. Always when we're doing the commandments, when we're obeying God, it's a result of our salvation. Those that love to do God's will, those that uh, simply follow the word of God, it's always by faith, by faith through faith, by faith through faith. On what? On the word of God. So those that do his commandments, they have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But look at verse 15. For without a who? Oh, how dare you? For without are the dogs? Are you calling people dogs? These are workers of iniquity. These are people that are trampled on the blood of Christ. They don't have the blood of Christ uh, on the doorposts of their heart. They're going like this to God's blood, God's son's blood. They don't care about God's son or his will. They care about themselves. These are people that have rejected God's offer time and time again. And not only this, some of them actually have the audacity to have a raise of fist at God. They're God haters. That's why I pray for my children and any other young people. That they don't grow up to be God haters. Just recently I found out that I was pastor, so I thought he only had four kids. And I said to my wife, I'm looking at these, you know, uh, video of a graduation of a man. I think, how proud uh, in, a, in, in a spiritual sense would that father be seeing his kids be preachers or whatever, godly men, not necessarily, but godly people. And then I spoke to Joshua and he says, no, he had more than four. I said, what? She's got nine. Five of them didn't walk with the Lord. Is that right? I said, what? Why? Why? They have a free will just like any other person, don't they? Because they love themselves. They don't love to do the will of God. They don't love God's offer. They don't love God's way. They love themselves. They love to work iniquity. They love sin. I hope you don't hear tonight. I hope you hate sin and love righteousness. But look at this. For without a dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters. Look at this. That's not me. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not a murderer. But look at this. And whosoever loveth and maketh, what's that word? A lie. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of people that might not be murderers and sorcerers. But let me just say, they live their life cheating their way through life to get by. They don't care about people. They cheat people and they lie to get their way. So, oh, they're just white lies. I'm just protecting my neighbor. How many of that is true? Come on, brother. Come on. You heard the story about the ten virgins? Because those that work iniquity are those that do not have a genuine relationship with the Lord. You know what the Lord says to them? I never knew you. It's not like once upon a time I knew you and now I don't. No. No, no. Listen very carefully. 
I never knew you. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're a professor. I don't know you. I never knew you. You heard the story about the ten virgins? For the sake of time, I'll paraphrase, but turn to Matthew chapter 25 and you can just have a look at it. But this reminds me of the ten virgins that Jesus gives as a parable in Matthew chapter 25. So this is heavy hitting. I, of course it is. It's got to do with your soul. It makes the difference between being in the presence of God and ending up in the fires of hell. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's pretty, pretty serious stuff. That's not something to joke around about or be indifferent about or be apathetic about. This is serious stuff. How do you want me to give this with a smile on my face? That's pretty hard. Not when your soul hangs in the balance. Not when you have to walk away and test what kind of profession do I have. And would it test, would it, would it, would it uh, simply uh, pass the test of God's word? I don't know about you, but this is serious stuff. So therefore, we need to be serious about this. We can't uh, be indifferent about the word of God. Matthew chapter 25. And uh, if you see this account, we see that there are 10 professing virgins. Or I should say there were 10 virgins that are professing believers. They mark out professing believers. You look at them, they look all the same. They were ten virgins. What was the difference? Well, the Bible says that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. What marks the difference? There was the oil in the lamp. Five of them had oil in the lamp and five of them didn't. And I believe as we look at in the scripture, I personally believe that the oil would represent the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, which is the greatest oil you know, thing that God gives us that salvation that, you know, solidifies that we are the children of God and gives us that relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. If you don't have the Spirit of God, Paul says, you are none of His. You don't belong to Him. And so if you don't have that oil, if you will, in your vessel, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and you just have a profession when it com comes time to that, uh, you know, day when Jesus returns or you're thinking that you're entering in the kingdom, notice what happens here. I want you to see it very carefully. Verse 11. After came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, those foolish virgins that went to go and purchase oil. Um, and it was too late, by the way. It was too late. When Jesus returns, when the bridegroom cometh, and uh, he comes, there's, 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 that's it. You know, a lot of people might think that they might get saved when Jesus returns, but that's not going to happen. A lot of people have that philosophy too. You know, they might trust Jesus on their deathbed, but how do you know you're going to die, in, you know, on a, a slow death? You, you perhaps will probably die in, instantly, right? When Jesus comes, that's it. There are no reruns. There is no mercy. There's no forgiveness. That's it. And so they said, open to us. If look at verse 12. And he answered and he said, verily... He says, verily I sound to you, look at this, I know you not. That's sobering. That's one of the saddest things and the most miserable moments of someone's life to think that they're going into the kingdom. We're going into the reception, man. We're going to the great supper and they were rejected. A man of God once said that only missed the rapture, but they missed the reception. They missed it. Why? Because they were just professors. 
that ain't have the Holy Spirit of God, listen, which is a mark of a child of God and you belong to God and you know God. I never knew you. There was no father, no son relationship. There was no relationship, only just religious activity, nothing more, nothing less. How many Christians today claim that they are Christians and they don't even know God? And God, and they, listen, they're not even known of God. They don't even talk to God. They don't even praise God. They don't even praise the Heavenly Father. They know nothing about a relationship with God and that is scary and sad. So what do they want? They wanted the celebration. What do they want? They wanted the kingdom. A lot of people want, they want heaven. But you know who's there? God. God's in heaven. Our Father which art in heaven. Listen, heaven's not heaven without God being there, my friend. Why do you want to go to heaven? What for? And if you can't learn to live and love God now, why do you want to go to heaven? Salvation is not just a ticket out of hell. Listen, it, it, salvation is bringing us into a proper relationship with God the Father that sin actually severed and distorted. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. This is what salvation is all about. It's that born-again experience. I'm in a right relationship with God. And, and we have that fellowship. And we have that union. And it's not just coming and hearing a sermon or singing or going through the motions. I know Him. I'm known of Him. We are uh, intimate. We talk through the Spirit of God. He draws me and we talk. He convicts me uh, when I'm not right. Uh, when the Spirit of God is quenched, I know it. And he, he, just, he just follows me everywhere I go. And I thank God for it. Even when I'm drifting, his heavy hand is on me because he's my father. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Why are Christians uh, professing Christians without chastening? You see, they get away with this and get away with that. And they're happy and this and that and all the rest of it. They live like worldly people. Why? Because they're just professors. They just have a little bit of religion. They claim to be a Christian, but they're not. It's sad, but it's true. Have a look at verse 22. We're almost done. Verse 22. It says this. In verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, many in that day. What day? That day when Jesus returns or judgment day? Many will say, many. Yeah, this actually serves as a warning for us. It really does. Many. The question might be asked, why would God allow so many people to be deceived? So many, many, many are in this situation. Listen, listen very carefully. Many people are professing Christians. Why are they in that situation? Why did God allow them to be deceived? Well, God did all that he can to get their attention and they would not hear. As a matter of fact, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 15, Jesus warns them about false teachers. As, and, and verse 21 to 20, uh, 23 he warns them about false professors. Uh, verses 13, 14, he warns them about the wide gate and the narrow gate. He actually says, enter in the narrow gate. Don't go through the wide gate. Many enter through the wide gate. Go into the narrow gate. He warns them. He says, enter in the narrow gate. For many enter in the wide gate. Many, many, many. To me, that's prophecy. But please don't be part of the many. I beg you here tonight. 
Make a decision. Enter in the narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? Jesus is the narrow way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. See, if I come to Christianity, he'll change my life. I've seen these Christians. Look at them. Look at how they live. What's wrong with that, my friend? It's the best life you can ever live. It's that when you give your life to Christ, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's a new life in Christ. He said, a lot of people don't like that life, and they don't see that life. They say, boring. No, it's not boring. It's wonderful to be saved and know you can have heaven on earth here in your heart, and you're anticipating. And that if you die to die, is gain and it's joy, it's got assurance and it's wonderful. You don't cheat on your wife but you love her, you know, you care for your people, you care for children, it's wonderful you, you, you're honest in your workplace, you're honest in all that you do or you should be honest, it's wonderful why do you want to be a crook? Why do you want to be a bad husband or a bad father? Why do you want to go and continue to indulge in wickedness and drinking and all this? No, being a Christian is good. It's right. It's holy. It's just. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you why. Because they love their sin more than the savior don't make it any more than what it is the reason why people want to remain professors and not in, enter the kingdom because they love their fornication and they love their drinking and they love their adultery and they love their hatred and they love not to forgive people their bitterness and they're angry and you know what you can be angry all you want you think that's going to change god's uh mind no you're just going with the flock of those goats and you'll be judged You'll be cast out into utter darkness and there'll be gnashing and wailing. Well, that's what Luke 13 says. When you read the same account, the parallel passage, when he says, depart from me, the three words that you never want to hear, it's the outer darkness, my friend. And you can be hard and you can be stiff-necked all you want, but God will bring down the hammer in that day. And all I'm saying to you and I'm pleading with you, don't be a statistic. That's all I'm saying. Don't. This is why he puts it here. You don't have to be. You can come to Christ. You can humble yourself. And you say, God, I want your way. Not my way. That's what repentance is all about. It's coming to God and saying, God. You know, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of who? Who? The Lord. Not Jesus. Or Jesus means Savior. But the, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's salvation. But Lord is his what? Lordship. I'm coming for him to be my saviour so I can follow him and not follow and do what I want to do. That's what, you know, that's what salvation is all about. That we follow him. We hear it. Look, look. My sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. You say how? By doing his will. Not just saying, yeah, I know Jesus, I follow him. But you don't even care about the Bible. You don't even care about the will of God. You don't even care about leaving your sin. You don't even care about conviction. And then he closes, you say, why don't you warn him about being deceived? Well, he did. He gives them the last illustration or parable, we want to call it that, between a wise builder and a foolish builder. He warns them. He says, listen, if you walk away just hearing it and not doing it, you're a foolish builder. And the time comes where it's going to be cra your, it, your life is going to be crashing down. But if you're a wise builder, you hear the word of God and you do it. And sometimes to, to do it is to believe on it. Those that obey not the gospel will be judged. What did they do? They rejected the gospel and they didn't believe on it. And so to be a doer of the word is to believe God's word and to walk by faith. And it said, trust God and believe God and God's way is best. And by the way, it is best. There's no other way, my friend. And you can buck and kick all you want, but you're going to do it all the way to hell.
You can. One of the greatest sins that send people to hell is the sin of pride. The sin of pride. You say, what does this mean? Understand, this is for a professing believer, but what does this sermon mean for me as a possessing believer? I'm saved, but how should I walk in the light of this sermon? Can I say, brethren, how's your intimacy with God? Are you walking with the Lord and he, he, you're knowing him more? Are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, are you doing his will? Are you doing his will? Are you uh, simply uh, following him and enjoying uh, your walk with God? The Bible says in Colossians, turn quickly there, Colossians. And we'll close with this. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. I want you to see this, Christian. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Not just Christ Jesus, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Don't miss that. So walk ye in Him. Rooted. And built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with. In Christ, built up, following him. Look at this. In verse 8, uh, sorry, uh, with thanksgiving, look at this. Beware, listen, Christian, this is for you. Beware lest any man spoil you. Can you be spoiled? Yes. You're still saved, but you can be spoiled. Your walk with Christ, listen, can be hindered through philosophy and what? Vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and look at this, not after Christ. Listen, brethren, don't stray from the simplicity that is in Christ. Don't stray. Don't stray. Mm -hmm. Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, lying aside, lying aside every weight and everything. It is not difficult to understand, to practice perhaps executing it and walking from the day-to-day -day basis, but that's where the power of God helps us to lift up Christ in our life. Don't miss it. The Apostle Paul, I said, I look or I press toward the mark. Who's the mark? Who's the prize? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't be deceived, brethren. As you have received Christ, walk also in Him. Your relationship with Christ is so important to finish and to do the will of God. I'm afraid true, genuine Christians have lost sight of Christ. And it's become a stumbling block to them. And they're, they're just uh, not walking like they should. They're not uh, running like they should. They're not pressing like they should. They're not looking like they should. They're distracted. They're deceived. Don't be deceived. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Press toward the mark.
Don't be deceived. And if you're here tonight, I beg you, if you're just a professor, listen, only God can show you, I beg you, three words you don't want to hear. Depart from me. Three words you do not want to hear. I beg you here today. I beg you. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Test yourselves. Am I just a professor or am I a possessor? What are the marks? Do I have the heart to do the will of God that's found in this book? That's where it's found, by the way. It's in this book. Not in your emotions or feelings or anything else. The will of God is found in the Word of God. You can't find the will of God outside of this book. Get it? It's in this book. Don't be afraid of the Bible. Godly, Bible-believing Christians are not afraid of this book. Amen? Okay. Well... That's one mark. Number two, do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you walk with the Lord? Do you talk with the Lord? Listen, does he talk to you? Does he talk to you? Not with an audible voice. The Spirit of God grabs the pages, words on the page of this book and makes them living in your heart. They're not just words on the page. It's not a textbook, my friend. It's living. It's living. Oh, but we taught in the streets. Good for you. How's your walk with the Lord? Is this impacting your heart? You're hearing from the Lord. You say, yes, yes Lord. No, Lord. Yes, Lord. If you don't have that, and all you have is just a me profession. You said a prayer somewhere. One day... You said a prayer, but nothing changed. There's no walk. Yeah. You know what's the hardest thing? The hardest thing is when you grow up in a Christian home. Isn't that right? Yeah. The hardest thing is for little ones, they grow up in a Christian home. And they don't see a, a pivotal point in their life of a change and all the rest, and they believe and all the rest of it. But, you know, you know, let me just say this. You can still have a walk with God. You can still have a walk with God. And it's a walk by faith in this book. God is not just saving prostitutes and harlots and murderers. God is saving people that dishonor their parents. God is saving people that lie and steal chocolate. <laughs> yeah. That's what my, I told you, there's a list of my children's sin. I could tell you all night. They steal chocolate, they lie, they blame, they point their... Yeah, they're just wicked sinners that need to be saved. Yeah. But you know what the problem is? We don't see our sin for what it is. And you know what? The woman that kissed the feet of Jesus and couldn't get enough of it? Mm. Jesus just said because she understands that she's been forgiven much and therefore she loves much. Let's pray.